Shabbat Shalom. It was a Monday morning. I just pulled into the Wegmans parking lot and I was gathering reusable bags out of the back seat when the phone rang. I answered. An inmate from the Donald D. Wyatt detention facility would like to speak with you. I put the bags down, settled back into my seat as I listened to the familiar recording. To accept charges, press zero. This call is being monitored and recorded. I pressed zero. Thank you for using Global Telling. There was a pause. And then a voice filled my car. Please, you have to help me. I just can't take it anymore. Please, you have to get me out of here. The man on the other end of the line was a 20-year-old student from Turkey who came here with a visa and in the stupidity of youth didn't think anyone would care if he overstayed a little bit. He realized his mistake when he was arrested and for the past three weeks he has been panicking behind bars. He begs me to help him but I can't. No one can. All he can do is wait for his day in court, a date which, after three weeks, has not even been scheduled. He's crying on the phone. I just want to go home. Please, can't you just tell them I want to go home? I wish it were that simple. Every Monday, I spend my days in suspended animation, waiting to answer an immigrant support hotline. My job is officially to provide immigrant detainees with information. I help connect them with legal resources. I help them gather and recover evidence from Facebook and online to use in their cases, I get phone numbers of relatives and use WhatsApp to call people from all over the world. Sometimes I connect them with family members here in the United States. My job is to be a resource and to be a source of kindness and regard in a world which can be anything but kind and regarding. I speak with fathers desperate to be reunited with their children, with siblings desperate for news, with parents who are up all night with worry about how their families are going to buy groceries, how their families are going to pay rent without their salaries. I speak with wives who burst into tears when I tell them I can't call their husbands in jail. Immigrant detainees cannot receive phone calls. They can just place them at exorbitant rates. 
in the afternoons, fathers call to chalk with their children after school. I hear them as they choke back the tears, asking about their friends, their classmates, telling their little ones to be good for mommy. Sometimes I hear the sobs start before they hang up the phone. It's surreal. Surreal that I can be sitting at my kitchen counter, picking out which wedding photos we want to put in our album, while talking with a woman who hasn't seen or heard from her husband in months and doesn't know when or if she'll see him again. It's surreal that I can be walking through the aisles of Target, picking out a new puzzle, talking with someone who's puzzling through how he's going to represent himself in court. And as I try to give him resources, I know that something like 97% of asylum cases are rejected. It's surreal. How is it that so many lives are upended, so many families torn apart, and our lives go on like normal? How is it that we read these stories in the paper, that we see these stories on the news, and then we just turn off the TV, we put down the paper, and go on with our days? How is it We've grown so hardened to other people's pain. I feel this acutely. When I first started volunteering, I remember just about every case made me cry. I spent my days as a bucket of tears, and then months went on, and then it was only the really sad cases that made me cry. And now I can make it through a whole day answering the phone without a single tear. It's not that the stories have gotten easier. If anything, the stories have gotten harder. But somehow, I've gotten used to it. Somehow, we've all gotten used to it. Somehow, we've gone, gotten accustomed to this kind of suffering, grown accustomed to this kind of injustice. Somehow we've forgotten, forgotten that our people were decimated when other people became accustomed to our suffering. It's easier to forget. Elie Wiesel once said, it's so much easier to avoid such rude interruptions to our work, our dreams, our hopes. It is, after all, awkward, troublesome to be involved in another person's pain and despair. Yet for the person who is indifferent, his or her neighbor is of no consequence, and therefore their lives are meaningless. Their hidden or even visible anguish is of no interest. Indifference reduces the other to an abstraction. We cannot reduce one another to an abstraction. 
We cannot remain indifferent. We must make a difference. That's why I'm coming to you today. We need you. We need all of you. This coming Wednesday, March 4th, 8 o'clock, here in this building, our Social Justice Advisory Board has organized a training with the Boston Immigrant Justice Accompaniment Network. We are going to be learning about how we can make a difference, learning about how we can show up for people in court and help them to know that people care, learning about how we can write letters to help people feel less alone, learning about how we can provide rides, guidance, English training, learning about how we can make a difference. We need you. Let me tell you a story. A few months ago, Queen's lawyers reached out to us. They'd taken on a new case of a Rwandan journalist who doesn't speak a lot of English, and they wondered if we could help find him a place to live. We weren't sure if we could make that happen. We weren't sure who would be willing to open their home to someone they couldn't fully communicate with. But that same day, a family came in to meet with Rabbi Garden Swartz. They were sharing with them how heartbroken they were over the state of our world, over the injustices that are unfolding. And Rabbi Garden Swartz asked them on the spot, would you ever consider opening your home to someone in need? On the spot, they said, yes. A week ago Friday, the Rwandan journalist was released from jail. Forty members of our community signed on to help them as they housed him, to help drive him to appointments, to help him find a job, to help him learn English, to help him with meals. These 42 angels are helping him to rebuild his life. These 42 angels are making a difference. And you may be sitting there thinking, that's beautiful, that's so important, but that's way more than I can handle right now. Just got too much going on. So let me tell you another story. A couple of weeks ago, I was answering the hotline and someone called in with a simple request. He said, do you think you could maybe write me a letter? It's so lonely in here and I don't have anyone to talk to. It just would be really nice if I could have someone to talk to. Of course, I said. And when I got off the phone, I posted on Facebook asking if anyone might be interested to send this man a letter or to send a letter to some of the other folks I've spoken with on the hotline. This past Monday, I got a call unlike one I have ever received before. On the other end of the line, a man was crying, but he was crying tears of gratitude. 
He said, I just had a call today because the most amazing thing happened. I got a letter. I got a letter. I've been in jail now for more than a year. I've barely spoken to my family. I don't have any friends here. Today, the guard called me and he said, you've got a letter. And I just had to call and tell you because I'm not asking for anything. I don't, I don't need anything. I don't want any money. I don't need anything. But just getting that letter, that letter told me someone out there cares about me. And you don't know what that means. I just wanted to call to say thank you. The world may be indifferent, but we can make a difference. We can make a difference and we need you. Join us March 4th, 8 p.m. Join us here. We are not indifferent. We can make a difference. Shabbat shalom.